0: Welcome to Time Dropping Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha.
1: And I'm Paddy. This week we join the Doctor and Sarah Jane as they return to Earth, or so they think, only to get caught up in an android invasion. We'll be discussing the Doctor, the companions, and the villains and give you our thoughts on the story as a whole.
0: We'd also love to hear your thoughts on the story. So, as always, to join the discussion, you can check us out at that's Time That's T I M E. T-E-A-M-P on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or you can email us at time traveling at teamproductions.com Now, Patty, before I hand over to you for the story recap I would like to say that for new listeners, hello and welcome we did see a massive uptick in listenership over the last couple of days (laughs) because Mm -hmm. we're now available on extra platforms so Samsung Podcasts and I forgot the names of the other ones
1: (laughs) I literally had the list
0: in front of my face, one second uh I literally had the list in my head. I was like, oh yeah, this and this and this. Uh, let me find this. Uh, yes. So we are now available on additional podcast sites, including iHat Radio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Samsung Podcasts. So to those of you who joined us through one of those platforms, hello. Welcome to the show. Hi. <laughs> and for everyone else who's been with us the entire time. Hello. We love you too.
1: <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs>
0: so, Patty, why don't you jump into our story recap?
1: indeedly i will part one in a wooded area a unit soldier walks as if in a trance but begins to spasm and twitch as he makes his way through the undergrowth a short while later the tardis lands and the doctor emerges taking a look at his surroundings sarah jane emerges and asks if they have to return to their own time but the doctor says that he is uncertain he comments that even though the scent on the air is consistent with fresh rainfall he notices that the ground is bone dry he then takes the device out of his pocket which starts beeping and he tells Sarah Jane that it is registered an enormous energy release. They then decide to try to find the nearest road and head away from the TARDIS. As they make their way through the woods, they fail to spot the unit soldier, but a short while later, they come across a quartet of individuals wearing white suits and helmets. The doctor calls out to them, but the strangers point at them, and then an energy blast erupt from their fingers, forcing the doctor and Sarah Jane to flee for safety. However, Sarah Jane nearly falls down a steep embankment, but the doctor manages to pull her up. Suddenly, they see the unit soldier burst out of the woods and call out to him to stop, but they watch as he tumbles off the edge and plummets to the ground below. They carefully make their way down to the body, and the doctor confirms that he is dead. Sarah Jane spots his unit insignia, and the doctor searches his pockets for any sign of identification. He finds a wallet and discovers a group of freshly minted coins, which they both find unusual. The doctor then spots a large container nearby, and they go take a look at it. The doctor says he has seen something like it before, but he can't remember where. Suddenly they are shot at by the helmeted figures, and they again run for safety. They eventually come across a village that Sarah Jane recognizes as Devisham, where she had previously gone to as part of a story that she was writing. They notice that it is very quiet, and they make their way to the local pub. They enter the pub, which Sarah Jane says is called the Fleur de Lis, but the doctor comments that it is more like the Mary Celeste, given that it is completely abandoned like the rest of the village. The doctor searches the till and discovers it is full of freshly minted coins as well. The doctor asks her about the story she was working on the last time she was there, and she says it was about a a commotion that occurred at the nearby Space Defence Station. The doctor says their assailants could possibly be security guards from the station. Sarah Jane is sceptical, saying that trespassers are arrested in England and not shot. The doctor, commenting on the fact that they appear to be wearing radiation suits, says that they could have been trying to warn them away, and mentions the energy release that he had detected earlier. He suggests that the village could have also been evacuated for safety reasons and Sarah Jane says that they could be at risk but he says that it was only a theory. She looks out of a window and says that their assailants are walking through the village but she also sees the soldier walking with them. She then accidentally knocks something off a table and the group outside looks towards the pub. A truck arrives carrying more people being driven by another helmeted figure. They see that they are all residents of the village but they get off the truck in the same trance-like state that the soldier is in. They then hide as the people enter the bar and take up positions. The clock on the pub suddenly chimes midday and everyone returns to their normal activities. Doctor says he intends to find out what's happening and says that he is going up to the space defense station. He tells Sergene to stay behind to monitor the villagers but gives her the TARDIS key in case she needs to escape. After he leaves, Sergene accidentally bumps into the door causing the knob on it to turn which is noticed by the soldier. He opens the door and pulls her into the room where everyone stares at her in silence. She greets the pub landlord, Morgan, asking if he remembers her from the last time that she was there, but he doesn't respond. Instead, the soldier, whose name is Adams, asks her what she is doing in the village, but Morgan says that she may be part of the test. Sarah Jane asks what the test is, but Morgan tells her that she must leave, and she hurriedly exits the pub. Outside, she runs into one of the white-suited figures and sees that its visor is open, revealing not a face, but a complex series of circuitry. She then flees back to the woods. She arrives back at the TARDIS and puts the key into it, but sees another container like the one near the cliffside and goes to investigate it, leaving the key in the TARDIS. Suddenly the TARDIS takes off and Sarah Jane thinks the doctor has left without her. As she watches it leave, the container opens and a hand grabs Sarah Jane's leg, causing her to scream. She looks down and sees a man inside, who appears to be covered in some sort of viscous substance. She bends down to offer him help, but then he starts to strangle her. She manages to break free of his grip and runs back into the woods. Meanwhile, the Doctor arrives at the Space Defence Centre and also finds it inhabited by more unit personnel into this strange trance. Getting no answers to his request to meet the commanding officer, he makes his way into the building. Inside one of the offices, an eye-patch-wearing man named Crayford is summoned by intercom by an individual named Stigron. Stigron says that he gave an order for all units to recharge, but one of them is apparently wandering through the building. He sends Crayford to find the unit and he rushes out to complete his task. However, he is forced to take cover in an office when he hears someone approach, and a few moments later, the doctor enters the hallway. He notices the brigadier's name on the door of the office Crayford just went into and enters it, calling out for the brigadier. He takes a look around the empty office and starts looking at a map on the table, but suddenly Crayford emerges from hiding, holding a gun. Crayford demands to know who he is, and the doctor gives him his credentials. Crayford says the brigadier is in Geneva, and Colonel Faraday is in charge of the complex while he is gone. He then says the Doctor will have to be pushed into detention until his identity is verified, but the Doctor flips the table and escapes to the roof, pursued by a guard. He avoids gunfire from the security forces on the ground, when he is cornered by a pair of white-suited figures. Unbeknownst to him, Sierra Jane has arrived and follows after him as he is led away to the detention area. She waits until the coast is clear and begins to let him out, unaware that she is being observed by someone from a hidden compartment in the wall. Part 2 the hidden figure closes the compartment and goes to a strange control room filled with alien technology and from there calls Crayford, asking how Sarah Jane got in. Crayford addresses the figure as Stigron and informs him to the identity of the Doctor and Sarah Jane. Suddenly the alarm goes off and Stigron orders them to be recaptured immediately. Crayford orders the guards to shoot them on sight, but Stigron countermands the order, saying that he wants them to be captured for interrogation to see what they know of the plan of his people, the Crawls. However, Crayford urges him to kill them, saying that it is too risky to keep them alive. Meanwhile, while they are hiding in a storage cupboard, the doctor informs Sarah Jane about meeting Crayford, but she says that it is impossible, as Crayford is presumed dead after an experimental shuttle he was flying vanished without a trace. Once they are sure the coast is clear, they leave the cupboard and head to the entrance. At the entrance, they run to Benton, but are shot when he pulls a gun on them. He suddenly sags forward as an announcement from Crayford, who was remotely tortured by stickering into compliance, comes from the intercom rescinding the, the kill order. The Doctor and Sarah Jane use the distraction as a chance to escape, and when he regains his composure, Benton orders all available troops to chase them down. However, when he leaves, the Doctor and Sarah Jane sneak back in, but quickly take cover when Crayford and Harry enter the lobby. Crayford orders him to take a group of soldiers to seal off the roads before continuing to search by himself. Once they are alone, the Doctor states his belief that Crayford didn't die on the test flight, but instead returned to Earth with whatever alien entity that abducted him. The doctor says they need to make their way back to the village so that they can warn the unit HQ in London. Out in the woods, the Doctor and Sarah Jane hurry back to the village, hearing the sound of the tracking dogs following them. Sarah Jane falls and twists her ankle, but says that she can carry on. Unfortunately, she begins to lag behind and tells the Doctor to go on without her, but he refuses to leave her behind. Instead, said he helps her up into a tree to avoid detection and takes her scarf to help lead the tracking dogs away from her. He tells her to regroup at the TARDIS and runs off before she can tell him about its sudden disappearance. She then coins down when a group of soldiers and dogs arrive, but they run past her, following the scent of the Doctor. The trail ends by a river, and Adams, who is leading the party, says that they must have crossed the river. He then splits up his men to search the area, and after they leave, the Doctor emerges from beneath the water. Unfortunately, Sarah Jane is spotted by Adams and his group as she leaves the tree, and they recapture her. Crayford reports her capture to Stigran, who tells Crayford not to capture the Doctor, but instead find him and track his movements. Sergeant is then placed on an examination table, and Harry turns on a flashing blue light that scans her brain pattern. Before she passes out, Sergeant sees the craggy brown alien features of Stigrun. Meanwhile, the doctor makes his way back to the village, and try uses the phone box to call for aid, but the line is dead. He tries the phone in the pub, but that line is also dead. He then tries finding another phone, but is confronted by Morgan, who cl- claims that the phone lines were damaged by a storm. The doctor then comments on the quietness of the pub and Morgan says that they have no big custom, save for the nights that the Darts Club play. The Doctor then notices that the dartboard is actually brand new, and begins to examine it. Unbeknownst to him, there is a camera in the board, and he is being observed by Stigrun, who seems impressed by the Doctor's deductive skills. Another Kral, named Chidaki, reprimands Stigrun, saying that he is putting their planet at risk with his experiments. Stigrun says that further experimentation will allow them to conquer other planets than Earth. He orders Scrafer to implement the final phase of the experiment, but Chidaki again says that the doctor is a threat to them due to his knowledge that they gleaned from Sarah Jane's mind. In the pub, the doctor continues to examine it for clues, but tells Morgan, who is watching him, that he is waiting for someone to arrive and he doesn't need to stick around. However, Morgan doesn't leave, but instead answers the phone before handing it over to the doctor. The call is from Sarah Jane, who says that she managed to escape from the Kral base after they finished doing their scan on her. She tells him that he needs to get out of the pub and meet her at the local shop, where she is hiding. The doctor hangs up, but then tries calling an outside line, only to discover that the line is dead again. He then leaves and makes his way to the shop. Meanwhile, Chidaki and Stigran continue to argue about the doctor. chadaki says that the risk is too high that the doctor could somehow manage to take control of the android servitors, the figures in the white suits, and turn them against them. He then leaves when Crayford returns, and Stigran tells him that he will need to be processed to help with an experiment to build an android capable of attacking the crowds. Crayford said that he doesn't want to go through the process again, but Stigran gives him no choice. Back in the village, the Doctor finds Sarah Jane in the shop, and she again recounts her story of escape. The Doctor notices that the scarf he took from her is back on her, and he then offers her a bottle of ginger beer, a drink he knows that she hates. Sarah Jane takes the bottle and thanks him for it, before telling him about Harry who she says is an imposter. She tells him that Crayford and his accomplices have been replacing everyone in the village, but as she is talking, the Doctor sees a pair of androids outside. The Doctor says that she was actually let go and that they are most likely being tested for some reason. He wonders why the Krals are using subterfuge instead of their superior alien technology to conquer the Earth, and then says they need to find the TARDIS. Back on the Kral ship, Stickerin subjects Crayford to the processing table in order to manifest the duplicate for one of their androids to replicate. Stigran then destroys the android to show Chidaki that they are not indestructible by using a new weapon that he and his science division have created. Back in the woods, the Doctor and Sarah Jane go back to the site where the TARDIS was. After pretending to be confused by its absence, the Doctor reveals that he knows that Sarah Jane in front of him is an imposter and that they aren't actually on Earth, but in a replicated world. The imposter Sarah Jane pulls a gun on him, but he manages to disarm her and demands to know where the real Sarah Jane is. The imposter struggles to get free, but falls into a divot causing her face to fall off and reveal the alien circuitry inside. Part 3 The Doctor flees back into the woods as the faceless android shoots at him. Stigran and Shidaki observe the events through the android's eyes and Shidaki gives out about the fact that the Doctor is now at large. Stigran says that they have no need to worry about him as their training exercises for the androids have finished and the village will be destroyed in 9 minutes. Unbeknownst to them, they are being listened to by the real Sarah Jane who is pretending to be unconscious nearby. Stigran tells curious Shadaki that he has kept her alive to use as a test subject for the virus that the androids will unleash on Earth once they arrive there. Another crowd enters with the bomb that they will use to destroy the village, and they all leave together. Once they are gone, Ser Jane gets up and tries to find an exit, knowing that she will only have nine minutes to rescue the Doctor once the bomb is primed. She takes cover near, at the entranceway and watches as Crawford loads all the androids onto the Kral ship in preparation for their departure. Once the coast is clear, she opens the hatchway and escapes the ship. Meanwhile, the Doctor explores the village after having seen the androids all driven back to the ship, and he is suddenly confronted by Stigron and a pair of android servicers. Stigron has them tie him to a monument in the village square whilst he sets the bomb. He activates the bomb and then leaves the Doctor to struggle to get free. A few moments later, Sarah Jane arrives and tries to get him free. He tells her to use the sonic screwdriver to cut through the plastic vines holding him, and once he is free, she leads him back to the crowd ship so they can escape the explosion. They arrive back just as the bomb goes off, with the resulting shockwave throwing them to the ground. However, they are apprehended by Crayford and a squad of imposter unit androids, and he orders them to be taken to the cells whilst he reports to Stigron. Crayford reports to Stigron, who orders them to be killed immediately. Crayford says that there is no need to kill them now as they can no longer affect the planned invasion, and instead they can be used for analysis. Stigron berates Crayford for his weak nature, but agrees to let the Doctor and Sarah Jane live. However, once Crayford leaves, Stigron reveals to one of his underlings that they will kill them once they have gotten everything they can out of them. In the cells, the Doctor informs Sarah Jane of the fake nature of the village and the unit personnel that they encountered. He then tells her that the radiation signature he detected earlier is actually coming from the crowd ship. Sarah Jane asks if it is dangerous, and the Doctor says that not at the moment, but the continued exposure could be deadly. He realizes that the Kral's are seeking to conquer new planets to colonize in order to gain access to the less radioactive materials which they can use to sustain themselves. Crayford enters and reveals that he has been eavesdropping in their conversation and seems happy with the appreciation the Doctor has of the Kral plan. He then reveals that the Kral's will send him back to Earth ahead of them. He informs the prisoners that he has already been in contact with Earth and given them his cover story as to how he is still alive after all this time. Sergeant asks him why he would betray his home planet, and he says that Earth betrayed him by leaving him for dead in space. He says that he's helping the Kraals since they saved his life when his ship was damaged and he was severely injured. He says that the Kraals will give Earth an ultimatum in order to avoid killing anyone unnecessarily. He tells him that the Kraals will only want the northern hemisphere of the planet to live in, and they will peacefully coexist with humanity. The Doctor tells him that he has been brainwashed and asks why Stigron tried to kill him if the Kraals are so committed to peace. He says that they are worried because of the memories they found of him and his morality in Sarah Jane's brain scan. He says, though, that he has managed to convince him to spare both of them, but he suddenly has to leave when Stigran gives an order for the shuttle to be prepared. As he leaves, the Doctor says they need to warn Earth, but Sarah Jane says they can't do anything without the TARDIS. In his lab, Stigran oversees the Harry Android as it loads the virus into containers for the androids to use. He orders it to be put into some of the food for the prisoners and then be delivered to the Doctor and Sarah Jane. In their cell, the Doctor uses his sonic screwdriver to expose some of the wiring beneath the floor panel, and says that they will need to lure in one of the guard androids, who will step on the wiring and electrocute itself. However, they quickly cover the panel when the Harry android delivers the food and water, but takes the Doctor away with him. As he is being dragged away, the Doctor reminds Sarah Jane, who was just about to take a drink, that water is a great conductor, and she places the water back in the jug. The Doctor is taken to Stigran's lab, and once there, he is hooked up to the processing machine so his memories and brain patterns can be extracted. Stigran reveals the true nature of the crowd's plan, which is to use the virus to destroy humanity and leave the planet free for conquest. The Doctor says their plan will fail, but Stigran refuses to believe him and starts the scanning process. Meanwhile, back in the cell, Sergene pours the water onto the floor and takes some of the exposed wiring. She lights her scarf on fire, and the smoke draws the attention of the guard android outside, who comes in to investigate. Sergeant hits him with the exposed wiring, which, coupled with the water on the floor, electrocutes the android, causing it to explode and giving Sergeant Jane a chance to escape. She makes her way to Stigman's lab and watches as he leaves the doctor to die from the continued effects of the machine. She manages to get him free, but he is severely disorientated by the experience. Once he composes himself, he leads her to the launch bay so they can get into Crayford's rocket and travel back to Artonut. He tells her that they need to get into the android pods to avoid being crushed to death by the G-forces from takeoff. He manages to get her into one of them, but the ship takes off and he is thrown to the floor. Part 4 Sarah Jane passes out from the crushing power of the G-forces, but she is later woken up by the Doctor. However, as they are speaking, an android pod opens slightly and a duplicate of the Doctor stares out at them before quickly closing it again. The Doctor then explains to Sarah Jane that the pods are going to be shot out into the space ahead of the ship so they can land on Earth ahead of it. Once they have landed, the androids within them will replace those that they are impersonating, thereby allowing them to lower Earth's defences. He says they will have to climb into the pods again, as this is the only way that they can warn Unit. Sarah Jane sarcastically comments on their chances of surviving the re-entry to Earth, and the Doctor equally sarcastically comments on her astuteness. Meanwhile on Earth, the real Space Defence Station picks up Crayford's ship on long-range scanners. The real Benton and Harry are also present there, searching for any signs of the Doctor and Sarah Jane due to the earlier arrival of the TARDIS in the woods. They are summoned by the centre's commander, Colonel Faraday, to join him in monitoring Crayford's re-entry. Faraday contacts him via long-range radio and congratulates him on returning home, but the signal is disrupted by a sudden meteor shower, which is actually the shuttle pods. The pods land in a disused quarry, and the doctor emerges from his pod uninjured, but can see no sign of Sarah Jane anywhere, and goes looking for her. Sarah Jane's pod lands in the woods, and she, she goes looking for the doctor and comes across the TARDIS. She sees a pod beside the TARDIS, and she suddenly jumps in fright when the Doctor appears beside her. She says that they should go warn the Defence Centre about the Kral invasion, but he says that they shouldn't do that. The nearby pod suddenly opens, and another duplicate of Sarah Jane emerges from it. The android Doctor tries to grab Sarah Jane, but she escapes back into the woods, and the two androids then set about fulfilling their objective. Meanwhile, Crayford successfully lands the ship, and Faraday goes to meet him with Harry. At the entrance to the Defence Centre, the Doctor arrives and shows his ID card to the real Adams, who he then instructs to inform him if he sees anyone that looks like him. The Doctor makes his way to the control room and is greeted by Benton. The Doctor tells him to patch him through to Harry and he warns him and Faraday not to go into the ship. Faraday is reluctant to listen to him, but Harry says that they should and they make their way back to the control room. As they are talking, a technician asks Benton to come with him, but once they are alone, he knocks him out. The technician does the same to Adams when he hears the commotion, and the android Benton takes his place instead. Back in the control room, the doctor instructs the chief technician to realign the defence center's radar dishes to point into the building itself. The chief technician says that it will cause widespread chaos in the area due to the signal disruption, but the doctor tells him to carry out the order. Faraday and Harry arrive, and Faraday demands to know what is going on. They go to Faraday's office, and the doctor tells him about the invasion. Harry says that he will be a full-scale medical scan of all the defence center's personnel but the Doctor says that that will take too long and produces a small device from his pocket, which he says is capable of detecting the androids. The device suddenly lights up and he realizes that the real Faraday and Harry were captured before he got through to them. Suddenly the android Doctor appears holding a gun, but the real Doctor slams the door in his face and then jumps out of the window to safety. Sarah Jane appears and tells him to follow her as the android Faraday places a security alert on the defence centre and orders the Doctor to be killed. Sarah Jane asks about the real Harry and Faraday and the Doctor says that they are up in the ship. He tells her to stay put whilst he goes back to the control room. The doctor goes back to the entrance where he is stopped by the android Benton, but manages to convince him that he is the android version of himself. He then goes back to the control room, but a few minutes later, the android doctor arrives and is shot by Benton, but to no effect. The android doctor makes its way to the control room and shoots the chief technician just as he is about to activate the power for the realigned radar dishes. Crayford appears and is confused as to what is going on. And the android doctor reveals Stigran's actual plan, but Crayford refuses to believe it. The doctor tells Crayford that he has been brainwashed by the crowds who abducted him from his ship and made him believe that they saved his life. The doctor proves this by telling Crayford to take off his eye patch, revealing that his eye is fine. Crayford storms away angrily, and the doctor manages to disarm the android. The android doctor easily throws him to the floor before setting off the security alarm. The doctor tries to get to the power switch for the radar dishes, but the android tackles him, and the two engage in a fight. The Doctor is easily overpowered by his doppelganger, who again throws him to the ground, but the Doctor manages to reach up and turn on the power switch. The resulting disruption causes all the androids to stop moving. Meanwhile, Sarah Jane has made her way into Crayford's ship and rescues the real Harry and Faraday. Suddenly, Stigran appears and holds them at gunpoint, demanding to know how Sarah Jane survived being sent the poison food and water. They are interrupted, though, by the arrival of Crayford, who confronts Stigran over his deceit. Crayford attacks him, forcing him to drop the vial of poison he was holding, but Stigran manages to throw him off and then shoots him dead. Suddenly, the Doctor appears and knocks Stigran to the ground, causing him to crush the poison vial and expose himself to the lethal virus. As he dies, Stigron kills the Doctor, much to the horror of Sarah Jane and the others. However, the real Doctor appears and reveals that he reprogrammed his android duplicate to attack Stigran. Sarah Jane asks him to never do something like that again, and they make their way back to the TARDIS. Once there, Sarah Jane says that she will take a taxi home, but the doctor says that he will take her instead, and she smiles as they enter the TARDIS. End of the story. So now that we've determined who's real and who's not real, or have we? <laughs> or have we? <laughs> 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 <We're>, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to take, we're going to go to the trivia spot. So, what information do you have for us this week?
0: Cool. So, the air date for Android Invasion is the 22nd of November to the 13th of December, 1975. The writer for this story is Terry Nation. This is story 10 of 11 for Terry, and his second and final story that doesn't feature Daleks at all. Um, so, his previous stories were The Daleks, The Case of Marinus. Dalek Invasion of Earth, The Chase, Mission to the Unknown, The Daleks Master Plan, Planet of the Daleks, Death of the Daleks, and Genesis of the Daleks. We'll see his work one more time in Destiny of the Daleks. <laughs> a lot of, of the Daleks there. Yes. Director for this story is Barry Letts. This is story six of six as a director for Barry. His previous stories were The Enemy of the World, he did some uncredited work on Inferno, Terror of the Autons, Cannibal of Monsters, and Planet of the Spiders. This story had the working titles of The Crawls," The Crawl Invasion and The Enemy Within. Ooh, I quite like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that one. Apparently there was sort of like a rumour that there was a working title called Return to Sukhanan or Return to Sukhnan. Um, But this is actually a second storyline that Terry had submitted that was abandoned. So that was actually a separate thing. So okay. uh, surprising Nobody Uh, the story was influenced by the film Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of obvious. Originally, a key plot element was going to be that the Kral androids were actually mirror images of the people they were imitating. So they weren't a direct copy, they were a mirror Mm -hmm. image. Mm -hmm. And that's how the Doctor realised that Sarah Jane, quote-unquote Sarah Jane, was actually a robot. was because it was the mirror of her rather than the she drank ginger beer and she wasn't wearing a scarf or she hadn't been wearing a scarf
1: that kind of makes sense because if you think about it like if they're pulling okay they're pulling the images and the brain scans to like so for example like you know if they were to do it to me they would Mm. see my impression of you which is inherently reversed because i always see the reverse like essentially you won't see the exact same thing as i see you
0: Yeah. yeah um but, you know, you could also argue that they also had her body there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So they knew what she looked like. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, But the mirror concept was actually in the novelization of the story. Hmm. So that's interesting. Um, Terry Nation and Visitors of the Kraals were kind of like an insectoid species in appearance. That obviously didn't carry over. Yeah. At all. Nothing like that <laughs> in what we get tom and liz apparently not the biggest fans of the script and apparently they rewrote and ad-libbed most of their lines because they hated the script so much and the entire ending scene was tom and liz apparently they didn't Mm. like the script i'm gathering because terry like terry had done genesis Mm -hmm. but like the doctor and Sergei don't to have too many scenes together in Genesis. Yeah, so, so isn't it maybe Terry just didn't know how to write their relationship?
1: Yeah, I can see that.
0: And so the two of them were like, "This, this doesn't work." The scene where the doctor sort of submerges himself in the pond or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you call it. Um, Tom actually did that himself. Usually, that would be something that maybe Terry Walsh would do, um, but Tom did it himself, despite the fact he has a phobia of water, which I wasn't aware of.
1: No, I didn't know that either.
0: He probably shouldn't have though, because he did inadvertently swallow some of the water, and so had to be taken to a little hospital to have his stomach pumped, which is why his voice sounds husky on some of the location scenes because he'd had his stomach pumped, which oh. is disgusting.
1: I was wondering why his voice sounded so raspy at times.
0: Yeah, he's like you can even see it actually. Like when he comes out of the water, he's just constantly like spitting out water, trying to not have it. So apparently he actually had swallowed some of it, um, which is unfortunate. So Barry Letts and Nicholas Courtney have both said in separate interviews that the Brigadier was meant to be in this story, but that Nicholas had committed himself to doing a theatre tour, believing that his time on the show was over. And so the character was replaced with Faraday. Apparently there was another reason for him turning it down and like not taking the opportunity to go back. Which was that he had actually been asked to come back for another story that had his part cancelled at the last minute and he'd given up work for it. Mm. And so he was kind of like, well, I've booked something. Sorry, let's. I'm not doing it. But this story now marks the first appearance of the Unit without Nicholas Courtney.
1: It is noticeably different. It, is, it no- is very noticeably different.
0: This story also marks the last appearance of John Levine as Sergeant Benton and Ian Marter as Harry Sullivan. In the series. Again, they both told Doctor Who magazine in separate interviews that they didn't enjoy the story. Um, John Levine, because none of the other unit regulars were there. Like I'm sure John got on very well with Ian, but Ian wasn't a unit regular, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Like he didn't have um, the rest of the normal unit crew with him. Mm -hmm. And Ian basically said that there was no real reason for Harry to be in it. He didn't see the point. Which not gonna lie um and ian actually would have preferred if harry had died saving sarah to sort of justify his character being there yeah because that's something harry would do for his friend rather than just him just being there because why is he at this random defense station and not back at unit hq
1: yeah like the only thing the reason i can think that he's being there is like see it's it's weird because you, you don't know whether they're there just as a to be on hand at the station or if they're there searching for the doctor. Because...
0: But the fact that they have memory prints of them hmm. that they got from Crayford yeah, means that it was assumed they would be there. But it also means that, like, Harry was at that defense station two years ago. Yeah. Which doesn't really tie up with the fact that he was meant to be new when the fourth doctor came in. It, hmm. it just... It, it was a nice be like oh it's harry but it doesn't really tie in and to be honest phil Pinchcliffe himself later admitted that the removal of unit or the demise of unit if you want to phrase it that way was handled badly yeah so he just wanted to move on from the unit period and he, thought that he handled it badly it was written poorly and it was just sort of just not done well to be honest so on to the rest of our cast as Crayford, we have Milton Johns. This is story two of three from Milton. We previously saw him in The Enemy of the World and we'll see him again in The Invasion of Time. As Stigran, we have Martin Friend. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Martin. His non-who credits include Curtain of Fear, The Prince and the Pauper, Night and Day, *Z Cars*, and The Bill. Martin passed away. Dang. <laughs> Martin passed away in 14. Specifically for you, I went all the way through his IMDb to see *Z was yeah. Just because you <laughs> called it out the other week thank you as chidaki we have roy skelton now, this is story 11 of 17 for roy we previously saw slash heard him in the ark 10th planet eve of the daleks the ice warriors the wheel in space the crotons colony in space planet of the daleks green death and Genesis of the daleks usually he's a sort of like a computer voice person so he's done cybermen he's mm-hmm. done daleks and um, he did crotons and um, he has played some like face characters as well but he's, he's usually doing voice characters and we'll yeah. see slash hear him again in the hand of fear destiny of the daleks the five doctors revelation of the daleks remembrance of the daleks and he's also in the comic relief special the curse of the fatal death again most of those are dalek voices with the exception of the hand of fear as colonel faraday we have patrick newell This is the only doctor who acting credit for patrick which i i was convinced i'd seen him before mm-hmm. like in a unit get up i was like fully convinced that we had seen his character before that we were going to see his character again but apparently not um because his only doctor who acting credit, his non-who credits include the avengers sherlock holmes and dr watson kinvig Wiz kid's guide the strange affair of adelaide harris and danny the dragon patrick nill passed away in 1988
1: So, thank you very much for the trivia information around this story. You are very so, welcome. And you made the, the, the comment about new listeners. So for new listeners, we're going to... It's the second half, or <laughs> part three, or whatever we like to, to determine it for the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it is the other aspect of this podcast, which is the character discussion. Yep. So, uh, every story, we take a look at the Doctor the companions, uh, be they the regular companions or the story-based companions, any prominent characters, so those that don't fit into the good guy role nor do they fit into the villain role, and then obviously the villains themselves. So, we the Doctor. What are your thoughts on that Doctor?
0: I love that once more we see the Doctor just moving Sarah to where she needs to be. (laughs) It's one of my favorite things about the way Tom played his doctor versus John. That John was obviously very um, you know, very debonair and Mm -hmm. very chivalrous in his own way. Uh, Tom is just, I need you up there. And he just grabs her and shoves her up into a tree. (laughs) And I love it because it's just the way that the doctor is with Sarah, which I just I think it's brilliant um, one of my favourite scenes in this is actually when the doctor meets up with who you know, the audience isn't fully sure is the fake Sarah obviously watching it last mm. night I knew because I know how the story goes but you know when yeah. he meets up with the Sarah in the shop and she's recounting the story of what um, Stigran and his people are doing and the doctor is looking at very fearful and very concerned and he's like how did you escape he's asking her all these questions and what i love is the fact that he already knew that she was a replacement Hmm. he knew the minute he saw her because her scarf is in his pocket Mm -hmm. the ginger beer just confirmed that she didn't have a spare scarf that was also in her own pocket so all the fear and concern that he's showing there is actually for the real sarah who's now missing and i just love it mm. because you can when you watch it the first time through you're like oh my god you know he's concerned for sarah jane like she escaped from this really terrible experience and blah blah, blah. and then on a second watching you're like he's terrified because she he doesn't know where she is and there's this now this replacement I, going around as her and like it, i love it because it just it's just a beautiful scene i think it's done very well
1: yeah no like it's it's done amazingly like and i suppose he's actually tipped off beforehand because when he when she hangs up the phone on him Mm -hmm. he immediately goes to dial the out and he goes what you know it's broken again Mm -hmm. um but yeah like it's that is a really good uh section of that story yeah i completely agree i think
0: tom plays it so well um like we do have a lot of you know good stuff with the doctor in the story as well you know we get to see the doctor Mm -hmm. sciencing it up um we get to see you know good performance from Tom as both the real doctor and the the android doctor
1: yeah.
0: um and again we have this is now the what third story in a row mm-hmm. where we have someone that you could maybe consider a villainous character mm-hmm. with the doctor acknowledging that it wasn't their fault and not villainizing yeah. them and actually mm-hmm. being supportive of them um, yeah. which is great it's this nice sort of continuous thing through that like it wasn't a one-off with Sorensen um, mm-hmm. you know that he doesn't blame someone for things outside of their control mm-hmm. and we'll talk more about Crayford when we get to him obviously but I, I like that it's consistent for this Doctor now, we didn't need to have three stories yeah. in a row but you know it's still it's it's <laughs> consistent for him yeah you know. um so overall i i liked the doctor in the story i like the fact that we're getting to see you know his good relationship with sarah again and i'll talk more about that in my overall mm. um
1: mm-hmm.
0: but yeah that, that was that was me how about you
1: um so yeah no i agree i like him in this one mm. uh i like his investigation going around the village you mm. know like i like the the atmosphere for the first two episodes of the story are great mm-hmm they really are because it's the investigation it's like the as you say it's the mystery of things um him like his back and forth with you know the pub landlord um or just even like any anyone that he encounters mm. in the course of investi- his investigation is great um i like his you know banter with sarah jane mm. like i like again like i love the i actually have the dialogue here which is um Goes, yeah so providing we don't burn up and re-entry or aren't suffocated on the way down we'll be probably smashed to a pulp when we land he goes exactly sarah you put your finger on the one tiny flaw in our plan oh, <laughs> that yeah.
0: That is one of my favorite lines yeah. of hers overall i have no yeah. idea
1: why <laughs> well it. i'm open to i well i'm open to suggestions if you've got a better idea yeah <laughs> so just, and actually you know, that, that, i
0: i'm now stuck in it is that real doctor or is that android doctor
1: I think that's the real doctor.
0: Yeah, I think it is too. Um, yeah, but I I love that sequence. It's so funny. It's it's so good. Mm.
1: Although I am slightly curious because I do have a comment about the androids themselves. So we discussed them. Yeah, we'll get to that. No. Um, yeah, actually, we sorry we didn't say what characters we we're going to be discussing. No. <laughs> Yeah. We don't always. So yeah, <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. Oh, but okay. Now that I brought it up, we have Sergei and his companion, yes. Crayford. I put Craford as a prominent character.
0: Yeah,
1: I do that. Yeah, I yeah. uh, then there's stigron and Chidaki uh, as the villains, but also the androids themselves because I I feel like that they deserve a talking point. Yep. I agree. Cool. uh but back to my comments on the mm-hmm. Docker. Um. At various points in the story, you can see flashes of the previous incarnations. Like you, have, like I think his interaction with the pub landlord uh, would have been very Second Doctor esque, yep. very Second Doctor esque. His um, back and forth, nor like his obviously action sequences, mm. very John esque, or when he's talking to the chief technician mm. about realigning the dishes, very very Hartnell esque.
0: Mm. Well I think is a very John moment as well is when he comes into the um base the actual base on earth yeah. and mm. uh android benton stops him yeah and the doctors like you what are you talking about he's he's somewhere else like stop like whatever. that's such a john yeah. brush
1: off it that that is such a john brush off it, it's really really good yeah but like, and see, this is the thing that you know. While yes, we can see those, inter- we can see those previous incarnations. Mm. It's to the credit of the actor. It's so it's to the it, 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 we we would have credited it to John before him mm. and to Patrick Child before him as well. It's the credit of the actor to keep their own character while showing these flashes of previous incarnations. Yeah. Um. So what else do I have? I well, I think though the only place where he falls flat. Mm. Is his is his interactions with Stigrin, with the villains of the piece?
0: Yeah, because they don't really interact all that much, and no, the interactions but, but that he, he does have kind of fall flat a bit.
1: Y- yeah, exactly. Like because like, he's he's I excuse me, like if we're going to go back to last week, mm. he doesn't really interact with Sutek that much, but the the interaction is mm. stellar you know Mm. uh so i think that's the one part of the story where the doctor falls flat for me Mm. but that's subject of like i suppose the the plot more than anything yeah uh so the second half of the the duo sarah jane uh i don't know about you but i think she's great in the story
0: i think she's brilliant i will say again just because i have to come no wonder she fucking fell over did you see her shoes yeah, and no one going <laughs> running through the woods like a lunatic wearing those shoes. <laughs> like, kudos to Liz Leyden and her ankles because, like,
1: yeah, <laughs> Jesus. so
0: apparently she's very weak ankles. well. Um, <laughs> what I love about Sergey in this story is that yes, she does have her odd damsel in distress moment. So when she fell and hurt her ankle and had to be shoved mm. up into a tree, <laughs> but also she saves the doctor
1: in like every episode. <laughs> she saves him so
0: many times
1: she saves him nearly as much as he saves her
0: more so because she also saves herself Mm. do you know so like he saves her by putting her up a tree we could argue Mm -hmm. and then he saves her from Stigran at the end by -hmm. sending in the android version of him yeah and that's it yeah she saved herself from the ship initially by just doing exactly what the Android said she would do, which I think is brilliant by the way. I loved that the mm. Androids like, oh I did this, this and this because obviously it got it's the pattern from Sarah and that's exactly what she would do. <laughs> yeah. that was brilliant um no, she frees herself from that. she frees the doctor from when he was arrested. she frees the doctor okay. when he's tied up by the ropes she frees the doctor from the disorientation chamber. that is another brilliant line I'm feeling very disorientated it's the disorientation chamber <laughs> that would explain it <laughs> and I'm now curious how much of these lines were Liz and Tom no that way that they like ad to so much of it
1: that feels like such a them uh, line
0: yeah, so I love the fact that like she is saving him more so than he is saving her in the story um hmm. And I also love how her journalistic background comes up here. Because this is the thing. Mm. We have only seen Sarah working on a story three times in her run. So Time Warrior, she was working on a mm-hmm. story. In Dinosaurs, she tries to do a story. Mm-hmm. Ends badly, but she tries. And in Zygons, you kind of have one scene of her at a typewriter. Kind of. Yeah. But I love how they keep bringing up the fact that she's a journalist. And they bring it up in relation to the story and it's relevant to the story. It's what allows her to be an active contributor and not just a passive observer asking questions. You know, she was the yeah. one with the knowledge about Deep Shum. Mm-hmm. You know, She knew all about Crayford and all that kind of stuff. And, but she knows all this information in a completely believable way. Do you know
1: yeah
0: like you could probably have done the same with joe or the shaw saying like oh they read something in the paper but the whole thing, they read it in the paper hmm. sarah jane wrote the fucking paper <laughs> do you know and it just i i like yeah. that with her um hmm. yeah no i think i think she's really good in the story you know is it one of her best probably not um but it's definitely a good story for her
1: no, no, like she, she's not a bad story for her at mm-hmm. all. Like I, like I, I, okay. In terms of as Liz Sladen performance, mm-hmm. it's a fantastic Liz Sladen performance oh, yeah. because if you think about it, she's effectively playing two roles. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I actually think it probably is one of her good. Like, like I think it's a very good performance from Serge. Yeah,
0: but like if we're going go yeah, like, you know, is it going to be on my top
1: three? Oh, in that regards, no. Yeah. But I, I don't think it's going to be in your bottom. Oh,
0: no, no no, no. Yeah, yeah it is a very solid performance um from this yeah uh, but is there anything else cool. about Sarah
1: that you um no like again like it's just like she's very resourceful like i mean like how she gets how she picks up on the doctor's thing about the, the water being a very good conductor of electricity how she essentially frees herself mm. from that jail which is that's a really intense scene as well because all fair credit to the the stunt actor mm going through that whole thing where he's like chest panel bursts yeah. into flame before he explodes that, that was also really I love good. how she
0: has started get, you know taking random things in her pocket which yeah. A I'm surprised those pants have pockets But however. because <laughs> she, she brings out a lot of random stuff from her pocket and amongst them is a lighter and we yeah. know that she doesn't smoke so why mm. does she have a lighter in her pocket
1: <laughs> just taking from the doctor I suppose mm. like taking little knickknacks. Mm. um but no, I like that. So she, again, as you said, her journalistic thing helps drive the story forward. Um, I like, uh, we talked about the banter. We talked about her rescue doctor. I think the only other real thing is that at the end, she goes to save Harry. Like, he tells her to stay put, mm. but she goes to save Harry. Yeah. And I, I, I like that because, again, it's it's showing agency of the character. Yeah. So, like, like so... The, um, Again, when no, to I suppose to a limited, more, more limited extent because of the way that the writing is being done over the last couple mm-hmm. of years. Um, that when she does go up to the ship by herself, it's only just we only see a small brief scene of her climbing up the, um, the side mm-hmm. scaffolding. Uh, but then it costs to the doctor, like, well, can we please go back to Sarah mm-hmm. Jane, you know, because I want to see what she's doing. I know that she's going to try and save Harry, but what's the danger there, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I, I thought it was a really good performance from her.
0: Yeah, I and I agree with you in the sense that like, you know, you want the Doctor scenes because Tom is just brilliant, mm-hmm. but you always want more of Sarah Jane as well. Not because they're not mm-hmm. giving you enough, because what they're giving you is so good you want more of it.
1: Yeah, like, like there, there's so many, like, but one just randomly just popped in my head now was like, do you remember Joe in Planet of the Daleks? Mm-hmm like you know, i want to see what joe's doing please go back to joe yeah. please go back to joe that, that, that that's what you want you yeah. know you want equal agency like you want equal amount of intrigue for both uh, characters yeah. um or whatever however many members <laughs> are on the the ship <laughs> yeah we don't even have to go back as far as joe i mean like uh, harry in Santaran experiment yeah yeah but anyway uh up next we have our prominent character of the piece which is crayford
0: I don't have too much to say about him. Um, I've always been torn on him as mm. a character. Because, yes, he was tortured for years. Mm. And brainwashed. And you can tell, I mean, all of the replicants... Let's call them replicants. <laughs> so all of the replicants that they yes. created, they took from Crayford's mind. And now it's one thing mm-hmm. to make a duplicate of someone when you have their memory scan. But to create someone from someone else's memory of them. Yeah. And not only to create the person but to create the village and to create the station and to do all of that. They pulled all that from his mind which must have been absolute agony. And like he even cries out at one point begging them not to do it anymore. Mm. However, and he's brainwashed you know, that's fine. He does also just want to kill off the doctor and Sarah at the beginning.
1: Yeah. So like... I'm
0: like, hmm, I I feel for you, I do, but like, because even Stigrun calls him on it. <laughs> mm. Like, when the bad guy is calling you on your, like, fucking bullshit. <laughs> kind of begs the question, really, of your motive.
1: Mm.
0: And I don't know if it's just that, um... that part was badly written. Do you know, like, the explanation of why he wanted them killed off at the beginning you know because the fact that stigran doesn't and he does so badly i don't know if it's just the resolution yeah. for that was badly written
1: i you know i think it's i think the characters is really written inc- inconsistently mm-hmm. it really is also i had like kind of like going to it my you know when he takes off the eye patch at the end mm-hmm. and he reveals that he's idr and i was like going like for fuck's sake man Like you would know ...that your eye was intact underneath the eye patch. And I can speak from experience... Yes. ...because I had to wear... ...you know I had to wear an eye patch for... ...I think it was like four or five weeks... ...because of my Bell's palsy. Yeah. But then it lies... ...okay, the, you know, the brainwashing mm. would probably... ...potentially overwrite the sensory side of yeah. things.
0: What I but think would have made that seem yeah. better... ...is that he takes yeah. off the eye patch... ...he sees a gaping mm-hmm. hole... ...and the doctor's like... ...look deeper.
1: That would have been perfect. That would have made what sense. I
0: thought happened... But apparently that yeah. just happened in my mind. It didn't happen in well. Yeah,
1: no. that would have been a way better. But uh, in terms of his inconsistency, like his motivations are inconsistent. Mm. Like because like he's a he's very you know we have to kill them. We have to kill them.
0: Yeah.
1: And then like you know it's like you know Earth betrayed me. They left me for dead. And you know like like, like you're interrupting. You know, we have to kill them because they're going to stop our grand plan to conquer the Earth. But then it's like, oh no, the Crowns just want to cohabit peacefully, uh, you know? Like, like, like everything's gonna be fine. No one's going to die. Like, you know, it's all fine. I'm like, like wait, and on a sec there now, like it's it's either peaceful cohabitation, at which point you shouldn't be wanting anyone to die, yeah. or Earth fucked me over, kill anyone that will stop us.
0: Yeah, and that's where I it's... kind of that's where I'm 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 stuck with this character because, I mean, it could be that all of the torture and pain, maybe he's just a schizophrenic
1: very possible but they very just very presented
0: it's kind of badly written do you know I think yeah. the Be, script cut, of his sections could have done maybe one or two more goes at it like do you know
1: hmm. because as you kind of pointed out um, so far this series hmm. we've had uh, Sorensen and hmm. uh, we've also had Marcus Scarman. Hmm and um so like the the tragic character in the sense of they're not they're a victim they're not a villain and crayford is kind of cast into that light line but he's definitely the weakest of, of those characters
0: yeah and again you know because we didn't get a like the prologue was the random unit soldier going jerky walking if the prologue mm-hmm. had been them losing contact with Crayford Yeah. And Craford, you know, screaming out in pain because he was burning up and whatever, and mm-hmm. like you realize later that the crowds made him think all that, but none of it was actually true, that mm-hmm. would maybe make it a little bit different because it would mm-hmm. sort of emphasize the fact that like the man is tapped, like.
1: Mm-hmm. And like it's just kind of a shame, like because I remember Milton when he was an enemy of the world, mm. or in- enemy of the world. Sorry, and it's like he's a really good actor. Oh, he really he is. He really is,
0: and it's like he gives gusto in each of the scenes he's in.
1: Yeah. I
0: just don't see the connection between one scene and the next. That all the it, scenes it on is... their own work fine. Yeah, but in continuity, you're like, okay, and like the, the fact that the even calls him on it, you're like. Was this was a plot hole that you're now having Stigrin <laughs> ask him to explain?
1: Maybe that was an absolute line kind of going, fuck it, do you not see the problem with this character? Maybe. Uh, maybe. Uh so I suppose speaking of the villains, we had the androids, Chidaki and stigrant. Yes. So normally we do like an ascending order of low tier, lowest to highest mm. villains. So I would say maybe Androids, Chidaki and Stigrand. Yeah, um my big like the androids themselves look is like they're meant to be just copies Mm. of uh their the other real characters my again kind of like with crayford they're very inconsistent because like in the confines of the story they just seem like they're badly designed because for me i find it difficult to imagine that they'd have no way of identifying each other as androids yes and also that like they would talk to each other as if they were the real people that they were impersonating when we've seen that they have like this monotone like like when the when the doctor android confronts sarah jane in the woods mm. and he's like you know we uh, no we won't be doing that And then when he talks to the android surgeon, we have work to do. And it's very monotone, very robotic. But then, like, when the actual doctor tricks Benton, and then two minutes later, the android doctor comes in with the same thing. It's like, why are you performing as the doctor when you know that the actual Benton is unconscious?
0: I think the difference there, and this is the only way I can explain it, is one is in the test environment where, Mm. they're like, we should all be androids. And he's not he's being like say if you take the bar the pub scene for example where they're all kind of like what the fuck is that (laughs) who's he what's he doing where it's like that's in the test environment where they're practicing and they're play acting Mm. up being the characters. yeah but the scene that you called it there at the end where you know the doctor comes through talks to android benton goes off and then android doctor comes in and says the exact same line and walks off at that point, they're fully activated. They yeah. are replacements. They are meant to act like the real characters. That's the whole point. Hmm. So, I think it's their programming that's like when you're on Earth, you are in character. Fucking end of. Hmm. Yeah, you know, and that—that's the only way that I can sort of explain it is that you have the hmm. test environment versus the live environment,
1: the real environment. But I okay, I I can kind of I can buy that. Um. Because all that was coming to my head was just like you know the human Cylons from the, uh, yeah. Battlestar, yeah that type of thing. But like, I would find it very hard to believe like that the androids would have no way of identifying each other. Like yeah
0: that, 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 that is that's, a, that's weird.
1: That's a serious design flaw. Yeah.
0: One thing I will say <laughs> is that like so we actually have two sets of androids because we have mm. the replacement android. Actually, I would almost say we have three. So we have mm. the replacement androids that are made from Crayford's mind we have yes. the Sarah and Doctor androids who were made from Sarah Jane and the Doctor. from Their own mm-hmm. memory patterns. And then we have the android guards.
1: The servicers, yeah.
0: Who are probably the least threatening of all of them. Because they just point their finger at you. And they do, like, hmm. with a little gun shape. And there's a little hole that they, they shoot. I'm like... I get that they're androids and like, they don't need to have a weapon but like it looked kind of silly and also at one point I, they I, did actually shoot the doctor in the back and he was going um yeah but then you have the standard replacements from Crayford who mm-hmm. you know, are good they do the job well but actually the replacements that I find the most interesting are the doctor and Sarah Jane replacements because mm. they're kind of sadistic in the sense that like when they're Like, when, say, the android doctor turns on Sarah, he sort of gets this weird gleam in his eye.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: And it looks kind of, like, okay, creepy fucker. Like, it's not just, I'm not really the doctor, I am the replacement. It's, we're going to have some fun. And you're like, ugh. But then the android Sarah does the same. Where Mm. she doesn't, like, she stops playing as being sarah jane and now she's her android self and her android self is creepy as fuck particularly when her face falls off and then she puts her face back on
1: this that like the fact that you're making that comment is kind of it's eerily coincidental because i'm currently i just currently finished watching the android arc or the android saga of dragon ball z <laughs> where there are two android characters that are sort of like you know like sadistic and evilly playful mm-hmm. meanwhile there's this other android that's just like stoic and i have a job to do
0: yeah because like you have because even like we were saying earlier about the the scene where sarah's like you know it's not our plan it's your plan that was the <laughs> best line of story it's brilliant um but at one point during that you see what like this is where i'm like i can't remember if that's the android doctor or the real doctor because one of them we're going to assume the android doctor Mm -hmm. peeks out of his little pod to see what they're talking about Mm -hmm. and you're like you creepy fucker you're just like spying on them do you know and like there's more malicious intent in those two mm. than there is in the ones that are made from crayford's mind
1: yeah I would say that it's definitely got to be like the one in the pot the one in the pot that kinda of does the creaky open thing. That's gotta be the the replacement. Because if that was the if that was the real doctor and he landed by himself in the quarry with no sign of Sarah Jane, he would have fucking booked it yeah, that's straight away.
0: True. That's true. Um yeah. the other thing I, I do kind of like and this is sort of goes back to what I was saying about the doctor, is how the doctor interacts with the Android Sarah Jane. Um which is, and obviously this is because of Liz and it's Tom and Liz just being Tom and Liz, but he still holds her hand mm. when he's taking her. To the, he knows she's a fake, but he still holds her hand walking through the woods. <laughs> Which I'm kind of like, way to commit to the realism there, Doctor, in mm. believing it's the. But also, when Sarah Jane runs off, and you have like mm. the, the the android of the two of them. Yeah. You have android Sarah Jane sits up in her pod and because Liz couldn't reach the ground and needed help getting up out of the pod she just sits there and waits and the doctor comes over and he, the doctor android comes over and he helps her out and you're like mm. it just, it's it sort of, it's yeah. creepy you know?
1: Yeah, it's it's very stepward wivesy Yeah,
0: it, it's, it's so weird um, yeah yeah, no, it actually, like the idea of the two of them going around pretending to be the doctor and Sarah Jane is just like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> cool. So now we have the Kraals. Yes. So Chidaki is. I'm going to assume, like, he, or he comes across like the the military. Yeah,
0: he's the marshal. So yeah, he's the military figure.
1: Um, I think there's going to be a lot of crossover talk between the two of them because, uh, or the points because they remind me so much of. Sontaran experiment Steyer and his Field Marshal mm. like there it just reminds me so much that in the sense of Chidaki is a no-nonsense military official excuse me he's a no-nonsense military official that just likes to keep to a simple mm. strategy like it's we have everything stop taking the piss mm-hmm. because you're going to put the planet at risk
0: mm. I'd agree I think like Chidaki is the, more of a realist of the two of them mm. um he knows and trusts military strategy over new untested technology but he's not a total yeah. luddite either you know no stigran is like you have a concern about the androids turning against us here i'll do an experiment and show you and he's like okay cool i accept your thing and let's move on um he doesn't fight for the sake of fighting or for the sake of ego he fights for the sake of the mission and yeah. they're not at loggerheads the whole time which is interesting you know, the two of them clearly support each other's position, but Shidaki mm-hmm. does sort of try to rein Stigren in when he thinks Stigren is overstep is overstepping. But then, mm. when Stigren comes back with good results from that overstepping, he's like, "Okay, cool, you know, thanks." Yeah, you know, I'm happy yeah, with what you said. I think,
1: Great. Yeah, I think it's one of those things of like you know, so long as what you do can benefit us. I'm supporting you, but when you step over the line or you go too far, I have to rein you in. Yeah,
0: and it's not done for ego, and it's not done for prestige or rank. It's just, Mm. ah, come on. Get get with the program. You've gone off book
1: now. Come on. Whereas Stigran himself, unless you have anything else to say about Shadaki, Stigran himself is... For me, he's a mix of Styre and the Sorensen archetype. Yeah. In the sense of, like, he wants to experiment to get the utmost, like, to the utmost, to get, like, all the answers and to see all the variables and all that kind of stuff. But there is an element of he's doing that. But no, that's, like, the Styre mm-hmm. side of things. Where the, but he seems to be doing it for. To, st- to basically cement his legacy as like this great scientific and technical hero of the Kral people, which is the Sorensen archetype coming mm. into it, I think.
0: I think as well, I mean like I'm trying to think of who is the best comparison for it. The only one I can think of is Davros. Um, there's a bit of a sadistic pleasure in it as well.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, Do you know, like you key... have
0: the you know, science for the sake of science. You also have science for the sake of me. And then you have, you know, cruelty through science because it's fun.
1: Yeah, he does seem to kind of like like poking and prodding Crayford.
0: And the way he treats Crayford is sickening. And that's probably the one thing where, you know, my feelings towards Crayford do, do go towards pity is mm-hmm. in the way Stigran treats him. And particularly the way he treats him at the end when you realize that he's been playing him this entire time.
1: Mm.
0: and loving it do you know again he gets great yeah. joy out of it which is sadistic and creepy as fuck Yeah. Um, I will say though that he has he's probably more common sense knocking around in his big giant head than like some of the other evil scientists that we've seen you know mm-hmm. he isn't going off the rails with his experiments no you know he still has a central goal in mind mm-hmm. and you know he knows that like if someone's doing like oh but what about this he's like okay well i can prove that that's not a thing so i was going to show you that's not a thing cool we be good let's move on um so it, it's always actually himself and shidaki work really well together
1: Hmm. Like, he's not, as you say, he's not an insane evil scientist, but he is an evil scientist. Yeah, he's an
0: evil scientist, but he's not insane. You know, he's scary and creepy and sadistic, but not completely off the rails either. Do you know? No. Um, which, in some ways, actually makes his sadistic nature more creepy, because he
1: knows he's I, doing it. They kind of come across a bit like... Um... In a okay, go over this right, but in a way they kind of come across uh, uh, like Gul Dukat and Garrick, like if Garrick was still in the the Obsidian Order, mm. yeah. In,
0: I was going to say that like a weird mirror image of Doc John and the Break.
1: Yeah, actually, yeah. Sorry, yeah. We will keep it in the universe, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, actually, what it is, it's it's almost like the Inferno verse. Mm. You know, brigade leader and if the doctor had a,
0: had a, a counterpart,
1: counterpart yeah Yeah, counterpart yeah.
0: yeah but they work very well together which is which is the thing that's mm. like you very rarely say that about the villains because usually it's one trying to up the other and back someone. Mm-hmm. no it's like hey stick run yeah ran it fucking in buddy
1: <laughs> yeah
0: okay but what if I prove to you that it'll work okay you've got five minutes okay mm-hmm. fair do's. cool let's move on <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're like the most oh, Ma- chill Ma- villains with each other I think yeah. we've had
0: in a long time.
1: Oh, Mom, come on, five more minutes. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> so we come to the end of our discussion, which is our overall, where we give our thoughts on the story as a whole and then rank it out of five. So, yes,
1: we Pennington,
0: do. I think I've been going first for a while, so why don't you go first this time?
1: I will, and you did, uh, no, we, I think we've actually been alternating, okay. so yeah, yeah, you went first last week, so I'll go, for, go first this week. So, on paper,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and word, word of those to new listeners, when I say something on paper, you know that it's not <laughs> always a good thing. <laughs> On paper, this story has all the elements to make an absolute classic Doctor Who story. Mm-hmm. The only problem is, I've seen it before, in Spearhead from Space, the Santaran Experiment, and Terror of the Zygons. Yeah. It took elements from those three stories, which the androids, We've seen it uh, with the Autons, that's why I said Spearhead from mm. Space because we actually did have a few doppelganger yep. type things uh, in that. Um, Santaran <laughs> experiment, the the Krells, like even their voices, mm. they come across as very Santaran esque, and the relationship between Stigran and Chidaki like is the whole thing, and then obviously with Terra de Zygons, it's the whole effort of replacing mm. um, people. No, the at- like the first two. I love the first two episodes of this story. Mm. I really do. Like the atmosphere is fantastic. Like the um, the investigation, like the creepy, like creepy English villages can't beat them. Except for no, no. There is one thing that can beat a creepy English village: a coastal Scottish or Irish village. And like they'll they'll beat them hands down. But creepy English village, you know, often like the the black country and the countryside, whatever. No, can't, can't handle it um, but after we have the the reveal of like the Sarah Jane android which like those things are very shoddily constructed If all that has to happen is she has to fall to the floor and her face pops off <laughs> like I kind of fluffed it up a small bit for the the recap <laughs> Like to kind of say oh she falls into a division, and the force knocks her face off it's like no no she literally just falls through his arms and her face rolls off um mm-hmm. Shoddy craftsmanship, (laughs) yeah, but like after that, it just gets so inconsistent with the portrayal of the androids and with Crayford's motivations and the whole nature of like, okay, we've seen the story done better. Mm. Um, so yeah, like at the halfway point, it just stops doing anything for me, which is a shame because the opening premise and this kind of reminds me of uh planet of the giants mm. first two episodes spectacular mm. at least but with this is that they actually had the two full episodes of which to work with um so i'm going to go flat down the middle all the positives get this at 2.5 okay
0: so for me i agree with a lot of what you said um there's a number of things i really liked about the story i think the doctor and sarah jane working well together again this week you know you Know from our conversation on pyramids last week, I really don't like it when they're sniping at each other, particularly when he's sniping mm. at her. Um, so I love that we have their friendship and their dynamic back together this week. I absolutely love that, mm-hmm. and I love it mm-hmm. even more knowing that a lot of that was Tom and Liz themselves, which is brilliant. Mm. Um, there's one scene that because we didn't talk about Harry and Benton in our characters because they're not really in it that much, to be honest. Um, they're kind of set dressing in many ways, but there's one scene yeah. where when uh, crayford is coming to land colonel faraday mm-hmm. makes a comment saying that crayford has gone further into space than any other human and harry and benton just give each other a look of that, which i just love because again you can kind of imagine that that was just john and ian kind of going hmm um i yeah. saw so, part of me thinks that wasn't scripted it's, you know
1: and actually, sorry to cut across you—that's another point why the story kind of loses me—is that the introduction of Benton and Harry, like, it feels like fan service before fan service was even a thing. Yeah, it, they were just thrown into the story so fucking haphazardly.
0: Yeah. So my thing with it is that you know the first two episodes were good. I completely agree with you. After that, it just gets very slow. I'll put—I'll be honest. Like, when Patty does the recap, I'm listening because obviously I'm here. At several points I was like, Cool, where's he at? And then you were like, Episode three. I was like, fuck off, seriously. Is he only in episode three? Um it gets very slow. Um hmm. and the core premise, the body replacements, has been done better. has been done better this season. Zygons was a brilliant replacement episode that was way better than this one mm. Um, and this is going to sound really cruel and I don't mean it to be this is very much a Barry Letts story this story would have worked perfectly well I'm sure we would have loved it if this was during the third Doctor's run mm. it's a very like when you see it on screen you're taken back to season 12, season 11. It doesn't fit with this hammer horror next level production that Philip Hinchcliffe is going for in his season. And the fact that Barry directed it, mm. you're like, it's a, it's a, like, I love Barry Letts. I, lo- I do, and I love his stories. I love the characters he created, but this is such a, it's a story that belongs in a different era of the show.
1: It actually does because, like, even if you think about it, like, the uh, end of episode two, yeah, the face falls off the android. Very reminiscent of uh, episode end of episode two for terror of the autons, yeah, when the auton when the cop rips off his you know mask.
0: Like, it's a very like, you know, had it been a Joe and Doc John storyline, it would have been very different. And and like, had it come out at that point in time, probably would have sat very differently. But bearing in mind, we've had (laughs) Zygon's. Planet of Evil and Periods of Mars. Mm. Belter after Belter after Belter and this one, the tone just isn't there. The creepy English village, it's creepy and stuff like that, but it doesn't stick with it. The other one stuck with it throughout the entire four episodes and this one just didn't. And I don't mean that to reflect badly on Barry because I love Barry Letts and I love what he did with the show, but Hmm. i think this story is a story from a different time in the show yeah and it sticks out like a sore thumb in it really what is really is the a belter of a season
1: yeah it really is the odd story out in the season given like, given the fact that we have future knowledge yeah. <laughs> of the, the what's to come up in these next two f- stories in the season it's very out of it's place. very
0: out of place and When I was coming up with my score, I was kind of like, yeah, I kind of agreed with you. And I kind of gave it a 2.5 initially. However, I thought I was being a bit too harsh because you and I are watching this in a very particular order. where We're watching Mm -hmm. one story after the other Mm -hmm. in the order they were released. And on its own, separate from that, it's grand. It's a perfectly grand story on its own. Mm. Is it great? No. But it has lots of little bits that I love. It has lovely little bits between the Doctor and Sarah that I love, and you know the premise is good and stuff like that. So I couldn't, I couldn't justify a three, but two point five I felt was being a little bit harsh from my perspective. So mm-hmm. I went two point seven five, which is slightly below average, but better than that.
1: Mm.
0: Do You know, I. I was going to give yeah. it a three at one point, and then I was like, do you know, is this just me trying to not tank the season? Um, I think, you know, on its own, it's grand. It's grand. It's not great. It's grand. And if I compare it to, say, something like Death to the Daleks, which you also gave a 2.5, like, I think this is way better than Death to the Daleks <laughs> in terms of a story. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So like, I give Death to the Daleks a two do you know um i gave revenge of the Cybermen a three actually i gave revenge of the cyberman a three i fucking hated that well i hated a large portion but yeah i don't know i'm kind of on the fence now because i initially wrote down 2.5 and i changed it to three and now i'm trying to play the middle ground with 2.75 so i'm gonna go back to my three because i i I changed it to three for a reason I'm i'm gonna stick with it um i think it is a perfectly. Good story. Um, I think if you watch it in order, though, you're going to be disappointed. And you know, maybe if, if this had if this story had been last season, maybe if this story was two seasons ago, but we literally just had Terror of the Zygons three weeks ago, <laughs> which is fucking yeah. amazing. <laughs> this one doesn't doesn't match up.
1: Yeah, pu- putting these two stories in the same season is, it's not a good format.
0: Yeah, and so. like, me and Paddy were sort of talking, you know, off-air and stuff over the last couple of weeks about, you know, oh, like, how did we think season 13 was going to go, and obviously, like, it's running very high, like, we both had two fives already, and we're like, oh my god, it's is going to be the highest rated season, and we're like, oh, are there, are there any clunkers, and we both kind of looked at each other, and we're like, well, there's Android, like... <laughs> yeah but we were like no like let's let's go in with an open mind you know we've had other stories that we we thought you know maybe we wouldn't score them highly and we actually did you know um Mm. but this is the wrong season for it that that, Mm. that's my that's my belief and given how long it used to sometimes take terry nation to write things i have a funny feeling he wrote this for like the start of season 11 and they just didn't get around to doing it until now So what has that done to our averages? I hear you cry. Well I don't I imagine Mm -hmm. you crying. So before today, (laughs) your average for season thirteen was four point eight three and mine was four point nine two, which is near perfect. Yeah. Now your average is four point (sighs) two five and mine is four point four four. Still good, but given the fact that we were four stories in and we've both given two fives already, not really riding as high as as it was. But we still have two more stories left. Yes we do. So we've Brain of Morbius and Seed of Doom. So can mm-hmm. that bring it back up to I mean, currently I mean, for you, it's, it's different, but like currently season 13 for me is 0.01 behind season 11 or season 12, rather. So season 12 was 4.45 and this is currently 4.44. So I think it'll be interesting to see the next two stories. Mm-hmm. Can they bring it up and maybe end the season as our highest overall? Although it ha- it's, co- it's competing with season seven.
1: Yeah. Season seven was very good. Uh, season seven was fantastic. I uh, even though that has a that it has a it, its own clunker. That clunker is better than this clunker. Yeah, that, that clunker was at least good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was yeah.
0: higher than average. Good. Um, yes, we just had mm. personal issues with some of the characters. Yeah, exactly. But that brings us to the end of this episode. Do you know what's really? Mm. It's kind of sad. So um I don't know. I, I would need to go back and look at the metrics for this. Including the recording of the recap, the in between conversations that you and I have had that will be removed. And all the mistakes we've it's made. It's an hour and a half. It's only an hour and a half.
1: Yeah. Oh, it'll be yeah. But you see, this is this this is the thing that I've noticed, right? Mm-hmm. Is that we, like, we recapped Marco Polo, a seven-episode story,
0: mm.
1: and that was like, I don't even think that was an hour and a half.
0: That's true. Although your recap style has changed, <laughs> as anyone who listened to our test run for Pyramids last week um, yeah. can attest to.
1: Um, uh, we well, we know who Paul's favourite is because <laughs> I sound like a 1960s radio announcer and you're immaculate <laughs> thank you Paul <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs>
0: oh, but anyway but, like we said yes. we still have two more stories to go this season so yeah, next week is The Brain of Morbius
1: yes the Mary Shelley influenced mm-hmm. Brain of Morbius so let, join us then to hear our thoughts on that one
0: Bye.
1: Bye.